It's such a wonderful day to be back and have so many children here. I always feel like the sanctuary is filled with joy when it's filled with our children, and I'm so thankful that you all are here to join us today. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. That's going to be found on page 933 in your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along with me. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as God chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think are less honorable, we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this, but God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles and second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. George MacLeod was a very famous Scottish preacher. He was probably most famous for forming the Iona community, which I've gotten to visit a couple of times in my life. But he also was a wonderful preacher, and I've read a lot of his sermons. One of his most famous illustrations from his sermons, which I've told you about before, 
When he was a young pastor, he was walking to his church one day. His church was an, an old church that had predated the Reformation. It had beautiful stained glass windows in it. In fact, there was one big stained glass window that depicted that famous scene from the Christmas story of the shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And the shepherds were, were down at the bottom of the stained glass window, and up at the top was that heavenly host of angels. And right above that in yellow, beautiful, golden, glass, it said, glory to God in the highest. It was a beautiful stained glass window. Well, one day as he was walking to church, he noticed that someone had thrown a rock through that window. He went inside and he saw the rock laying down with the, one of the pews and there was a few pieces of glass there. But as he looked up at the stained glass window, he noticed that the rock hit in a spot right where the E was in the word highest. So instead of saying glory to God in the highest, it now said glory to God in the high ST or glory to God in the high street. The high street is what Main Street is in most villages all throughout Scotland. The place where we do our work, the place where we do our shopping, the place where we bump into our neighbors, the place where we see people in need. George McLeod thought about it and thought that this new stained glass window with this hole in it preached something deeply profound, that we are not only called to glorify God in the highest heavens and in the highest mountains and in the most beautiful sanctuaries, but we are called to glorify God in the main street, in our work and in our daily lives, in our schools and in our hospitals, and when we see people in need. He would later say that that one little hole in that stained glass window preached a sermon that he had tried to preach a thousand times. That it was an image that was worth a thousand words. You've probably heard that phrase before, a picture is worth a thousand words. We use it a lot of times in, in commercials and things like that. It's a reminder that pictures often can show detail that we often can't share when we're telling stories like I like to do. It can give us a little clearer picture, a little clearer detail of what's going on. And in fact, believe it or not, all throughout history, the gospel has been preached through pictures. Back before the Reformation and even after, often people learned stories of the Bible by looking at those stained glass windows. People who could not read could look at the stories depicted in the stained glass windows, and that's how they learned the gospel lesson. We often teach the gospel lessons to our children by looking at picture Bibles and showing them pictures because it's easier for them to hear the story through the pictures than, than trying to read. And even through beautiful religious art, sometimes those artists have a way of enlightening us and showing us ways to, to see the scripture through their artwork that we can't see on our own with our own mind's eye. Well, over the next few weeks, our sermon series is called A Picture is Worth a Thousand Words. We've chosen several pieces of scripture over the next few weeks that we'll be reading, but we've also combined it with a piece of artwork. And you'll notice that there is a piece of artwork in your, uh, your bulletin that I'll be talking about a little bit later. But each week, we'll use a piece of artwork to hopefully not restrict your thinking, but to enliven your thinking, to illuminate the, the passage of scripture that we'll be reading each week. So that that maybe you can see that passage of Scripture in just a little different way. Today, our passage of Scripture came from 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to Corinth. 
We often read this passage of Scripture during, well, truthfully, stewardship times or maybe time and talent times in our year because it's usually used as a reminder to us that each of us have been given gifts by God, each of us have been given talents by God, and we are called upon by God to use those gifts and talents right here in our church and in our community to build up the kingdom of God. It's a reminder to many of us who sometimes think that we don't have a gift or we don't have a talent or maybe to some of us who think we come to church to to be served and to be nourished without realizing that it's our gifts and our talents that nourish each other. It's a passage that we use to remind ourselves how important it is that we share our gifts because our gifts are valuable and they've been given to us by God in spite of how different they are. A good example of that lesson, I was listening to a podcast by N.T. Wright this past week. He's a a divinity professor at the University of St. Andrews, where I got to study many years ago. And he was telling a story about a time when when he was a young pastor, and and he was working at a big cathedral in England, and he was watching, uh, this is not well, probably 20 or 30 years ago, he was watching as these stonemasons were making repairs to this big, beautiful cathedral that he was working in. It was a cathedral that had been built centuries before, but now they were in there working with their hands trying to repair some of the stone and the bricks that was deteriorating and falling away. And in his mind, he thought back to those original stonemasons who had originally carved the stone and the brick and put those pieces together. He imagined, as was probably the case at that time, they were fairly uneducated people, illiterate people, but they had these incredible gifts of of carving stone and shaping stone so that they could fit together. And he imagined those stonemasons working on one piece of stone that as they carved it and shaped it, they may not really have had any idea what this one piece of stone was going to look like, what it was going to do. It may not have made sense in their mind to just see this one piece of stone all by itself. But little did they realize that once that piece of stone was combined with the countless other stones, it built this beautiful, beautiful cathedral. How could they know that their little work that they were doing on this piece of stone was going to combine to build this beautiful sanctuary in which she was standing It's a reminder to all of us that each of us have gifts and talents, different gifts and talents that God has given us. And while we might think at times that our gifts are not missed when we're not here, I promise you they are. In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate our teachers and commission our teachers who are giving some of their gifts and talents throughout the next year to teach our children and our youth and our adults. and, And we could not do that if it weren't for the gifts and the talents and the time and the energy that many of you are volunteering. And I am so grateful. But that's how the kingdom of God is built, brick by brick, using the gifts and the talents that we have been giving. That's usually the lesson that we pull from the Scripture, and it's an important lesson, a, a valid lesson. But that's not the only lesson that Paul was trying to teach the people of Corinth. Because you see, the people of Corinth did not have a self-deprecation problem. The people of Corinth had a self-righteousness problem. They came to church because they were seeking to glorify themselves. They came to church to show off their gifts, to show off their talents, and to look down upon those people who had 
different talents than they did, to look down on those people who were, well, different than they were. They came to church to use those gifts that God had given them to honor themselves, not to honor God. And in doing so, they were not building up the kingdom of God. They were tearing it down. And so Paul writes this corrective letter to the people of Corinth to remind them that they are not just to value themselves, but they are to value others to value the gifts and the skills and the differences in the people around them. That's why immediately after this, in chapter 13, he says those words, you know, you may be able to speak in tongues of angels and you may have faith that can move mountains and you may be able to prophesy better than anybody else, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. He's trying to remind the people of Corinth that all of us, even those people who are different than us, have a place in the body of Christ. We believe that around here too. We know that we're a church of very different people. We talk about it all the time. We have people who have very conservative theology and people who have very liberal theology. We have people who are very conservative politically and people who are very liberal politically. We have people of all different ages. I'm so thankful for that. And we talk about all the time how we want to be a, a church of, and diverse in other ways too. Diverse racially and diverse ethnically and, and diversity of all kinds. We talk about how we are an open church of people of different genders and different orientations. We want this to be a place that is open to all when you come through those doors that you are welcome here. And yet just like those people of Corinth, sometimes it's a lot more comfortable to be with people like me, to be with people who look like me and think like me and act like me. It's a a lot more comfortable to me. It's my comfort zone to, to just appreciate myself. Wouldn't it be so much easier if we all just thought the same, if we all just looked the same, if we all just acted the same? But Paul tells the people in Corinth, that is not the body of Christ. The body of Christ is made up of people of all different shapes and sizes, all different kinds, and more than that, the body of Christ needs that. Because each and every one of us, each and every human being on this planet was made in the image of God, and we each, in spite of our bad parts and even in spite of our good parts, we each have a glimmer of Christ within us that we are called to shine to the world. And when one of those people isn't here, the body of Christ is broken. When one of those people isn't here, the body of Christ is incomplete. That's the inspiration for our painting that's in your bulletin today. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it yet. It's a, it's a painting called In His Image, uh, painted by a Catholic artist named William Zidanak. And William uh, actually was a, a fairly accomplished artist when he painted this painting. He wasn't very famous, but he had painted lots of religious art and sold it. And he painted a, 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 a proliferation of art so that he could make a lot of money on his art, even to the point where he was a self-professed uh, 
person caught up in the rat race, trying to make as much money as he possibly can. Well, then one day he answered the phone and someone from a local church had said they were having a a religious art display. They were going to do it for charity and wondered if he would uh, paint a picture for this, paint a portrait for this religious art display. And he agreed and then immediately hung up the phone and forgot he made the promise. A couple of months went by. I don't know if that ever happens to you. I dare say that happens to me sometimes. And a couple of months went by and the phone rang again. And they were the person who commissioned the art was asking for it. Is the art, piece of art ready? Is this portrait ready for our, for our art show? And he wanted to save some face, wanted to save some honor. And so he tried to make up some excuses. He said, oh, oh yes, I've started on it, but it's way too big for your, for your art show. You probably don't want it anymore. And she said, no, no, that's fine. Just tell me how big and we'll save a place. And he's like, well, it's not quite done. I need another day or so. It's probably not going to be done in time. And she said, no, we'll hold the space. We'll wait on it. And so rather than just being honest with her, he told her he would bring it. And so he hung up the phone and now had to do in 24 hours what normally took him two or three months. He started to work there in his studio, making sketches, trying to figure out what he was going to do, but nothing was working. He was getting mad and frustrated at himself, mad and frustrated that this person had had asked him for it, mad and frustrated that she didn't let him off the hook. Finally, at 2 o'clock in the morning, he just threw his paintbrush down and screamed out to God in desperation. And then all of a sudden, in that moment, he saw this vision. This vision of Jesus Christ that was made up of all the people of the world. A vision of Jesus Christ that was made up of countless people of different shapes and different sizes. And so without making a single sketch, he went over to the canvas and just started painting what he saw directly onto the canvas without any first drafts or anything like that. He just started painting. He started to think of different faces that he could use, and he had little pictures and magazines in his studio, and so he started to paint famous people in the painting. And you may not be able to see it in our copy of it, but he painted Martin Luther King's face in there. He painted Pope John Paul II's face in there. He painted John F. Kennedy's face and Robert F. Kennedy's face and Alexander Graham Bell's face and Mahatma Gandhi's face. It's all in this portrait. Maybe even a couple of pictures of his family members as well. This image of Jesus Christ that is made up of countless different people from different places and different times. People of all persuasions of life. They all made up the body of Christ. And using the words that we read just a few minutes ago, he said that this portrait was inspired by the words of 1 Corinthians. He said it really doesn't matter which persons are depicted. We are all one in Christ, as St. Paul taught us. Hurting one, we all hurt. Helping one, we all help. That is the idea behind this portrait in his image. This portrait of a world of people who are called together as a church and called individually as God's children called together to use their differences to glorify God, called together to use their gifts and their talents to glorify God, called together to show this image of Jesus to the world, an image of Christ where there is a place for you and there is a place for me where there is a place for everyone. 
And so as we begin our new school year, my question is, what is the image of the body of Christ that we are showing to the world? What's that beautiful image, that stained glass window that we want people to see when they hear about Faith Presbyterian Church? As we've already told you this morning, our new logo is based on our stained glass windows. But unlike that stained glass window from George McLeod, we don't have any faces in our stained glass windows. They're just different shapes, different sizes, different colors. In fact, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you ever go outside and look into the sanctuary, you really can't see inside. But we can see outside. We look through those shapes of different sizes. We look through those colors of different hues and different shades. We look out into the world and we see what the world is around us. People of all shapes, all sizes, all persuasions, all of whom are called to be a part of the body of Christ. My stole is based on those shapes, by the way given to me six years ago when I became your minister, hand-sewn by members of this church as a gift to remind me of all the ways that we fit together as the body of Christ. That's the image that we want to show to the world that each and every person out there is called by God, each and every person out there is loved by God, and each and every person is called to be a part of the body of Christ to go out into the world and make those disciples of all nations because all of us have a place around this table. So as you leave here today, go out into the world and show that image of the body to the world. As imperfect as it might be sometimes, go out into the world and remind other people that they are a part of the body. And maybe even more so, remind them that Jesus Christ is 